Do you have a question about your home? Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single-family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. We have ants in the kids' bedrooms. So I'm wondering, should we maybe spray the perimeter of the house on the outside, or is this something we tackle on the inside? Or Well, the professional exterminators, and I've worked with them for many years, will do both. They're going to spray the inside along the baseboard. They will also spray the outside of the home. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour with Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's here to answer the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email him questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. One of the things that I think most of us realize today is that we live in our homes differently, and we live there for a different period of time than the generations of the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, for example. And, Jim, you and I can recall probably uh, our parents, or at least our grandparents, lived in the same house for most of their life. It was not the case that you lived there two or three years, five years, and then you moved somewhere else, even in the same neighborhood, much less across country. So we are a much more mobile society today. And as a result of that, based on some national averages, we tend to live in our home on an average of five to seven years. That's the average family across the country. And part of that has to do with our jobs and careers and being transferred and other job opportunities and then families as they change. So there's so many things that are different in the household dynamic today than what we saw uh, 40, 50, 60 years ago especially. And with that in mind, it really changes how we see our home and based on some national trends and surveys, and Forbes.com recently completed a study and ran an article on some of these. Uh, NAHB has done the same thing and multiple other organizations that track our households and how we live and what we do there. One of the things that has surfaced out of this has to do with us remodeling or making improvements in our homes that can actually hurt the resale. Now, we typically spend time on this show talking about things that enhance your property, not only for your quality of life in the home, but also where you can see some amount of that money returned when it comes time to sell it. We know that uh, there's nothing that we have found that will get you 100 or 100-plus percent on the investment when it comes time to sell. But if you can put something in, you're replacing a garage door, you're remodeling the kitchen, and you can get 50, 60, 70, as much as 80 percent return back on those dollars, and you can enjoy it in the years you're there, that is a good investment. But there are things that we can bring into our house that are actually a negative, that instead of saying it's worth more money, cost money, meaning we would get a lower price for our home because that future buyer really does not like it, will have to spend money to tear it out, or maybe they don't even make an offer on your house. And I want to talk briefly about that today. So keep in mind some of these improvements can be a negative, even though you really enjoy them. And I'm going to have a closing remark that will make you feel comfortable about all this when it's said and done. But if you have, if you're going into a home right now, knowing that you have a job or part of your career, you're say you're on a, a three, four, five-year contract uh, with, with a school or whoever you're working for, and then you may be transferred somewhere else, or that tends to be the life cycle in that business, you may want to think about not doing some of these. First would be look at your landscaping. We know that landscaping is extremely important in terms of curb appeal for the home. 
But for some of us, and that's not me, so I should say some of you that have really green thumbs that have these lavish gardens from front to back and from side to side, and it looks like something you should be charging to have people come on site to view, you may find that that's actually a negative to to some people that would be potential buyers. They see this, if they're not the green thumb people, if they're not really outdoors type people, they may love the house, but what they will find is there's so much maintenance in the yard to keep foundation plants and lawn and topiaries and other things that you have there maintained properly that they're saying, I love it, it's great to look at, but it turns me off because I either don't have the money to hire a gardener or I don't have the time or the skill set to put into that. So think a little bit about how far you go. I'm not trying to discourage you, but I do want you to think about when is too much too much for many other people, especially if you're thinking about selling the home over the course of the next several years. Another item that we saw, especially during, I guess, the 60s and 70s, that is a real negative today. And I don't see as much of it today as I did then, perhaps because there's a little better planning and building and so forth. But that's in closing a garage or a carport area. I tell you, garages, especially if you're in more urban areas, have become extremely popular these days. People are spending more and more money on their cars. It doesn't matter what brand it is, but cars are a very expensive part of our life today. And in many cases, they want to protect that car. They want to shelter that car. And in other cases, they want to use it for storage of outdoor equipment and items if they're not sheltering the car. But to enclose that and make it a family room or another part of the house or a bedroom, whatever it may be, has become a real negative based on these surveys across the country. People are passing on homes where they have been enclosed, and now they're seeing the driveway simply pull up to what was once a garage or a carport. This is space that's valuable to today's buyer. So beware of that. If this is something that you have in your current plans, you may want to rethink that. Another item is taking out a bedroom. And this is something that's not uncommon. Uh, people my age are saying the kids are grown and gone. And, you know, really, I'd like to have that office that I've always wanted. Or I'd like to have the extra space or maybe make this more of a master suite rather than just the master bedroom that we've always had. We can open this up into the adjacent bedroom. And if you do this, there are very easy ways of doing it where you can enjoy the space if you're not tearing the entire wall out, if you're creating door openings, for example, and it's easy to close these up at a later date. But if you're doing this, we're seeing in these trends and surveys that people are finding that as a negative because we're seeing younger folks coming along with families that are buying these homes or interested in buying that type of home only to say, well, it's less one bedroom today. And uh, I just don't have enough bedrooms to suit my family's lifestyle or needs. So they're going to the next house down the street, and they're submitting a contract on that. So if you're trying to convert a room, nothing wrong with that, but if you're trying to convert a bedroom into other use and you're trying to connect those, you need to think a little bit about how you're doing it and can you undo that when it comes time to sell the home, if necessary, without a huge amount of money. And probably one of the absolute biggest things today, and this is this depends on where you live in the country, is adding an in-ground swimming pool. Now, for those who love swimming pools, those who have youngsters or even adults that spend a lot of time in the pool, this can be very valuable. But it is a smaller percentage of the population nationwide. If you happen to be in Florida or the Gulf Coast or on the West Coast in, in some area where you can swim most of the year, that is a different story. But in most cases, when we're inland, we're New England, we're the Midwest, we have winter climates to deal with, and swimming pools are only used perhaps three months out of the year, we're seeing the trend saying this is a real negative when it comes time to selling that house. You may want to think a second time about spending the ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 on installing that pool because instead of being an asset, it can be a real anchor or a draw later when it comes time to sell. 
Now, with all that said and done, folks, you live in your house. You need to enjoy the home. I'm telling you this based on the trends we're seeing, the surveys that have been taken, and the feedback we're getting from today's generation of home buyers. But if you live in that house and you're saying, one, it's my home, I want to be happy and comfortable here, then honestly, I wouldn't worry about it. And that is what I tell an awful lot of my clients. I have people say, look, this is the last house I ever intend to build. The kids are gone and gone. This is kind of my dream dream home. Then do what you want to do because it'll be dealt with at a later time down the road. So I'm not trying to negate any of your positive thinkings. I just want you to think about where you are in your life and your business cycle. If you happen to be one of those families that tends to move every three to five years, these may be some things you need to consider because that's the trends we're seeing nationwide. Coming up, Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, will be answering questions about your home inside and out. Don't forget, you can reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or through our website, KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson. Ken the Contractor. Ken is here to answer the questions that are important for you, today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or forward your emails to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Well, this mailbag question comes to us from Colby out of Louisville, Kentucky. And Colby says he listens to us on WLRS 1600 AM. Colby's question is pretty simple but involved. It said, what is the safest way to remove old lead-based paint from wood siding? We would prefer not to just cover it up with vinyl or something else. Well, Colby, that is an outstanding question, especially since the EPA and federal government has moved any lead-based paint to a hazardous category requiring, at least of contractors, special license and training for contractors, painters, and otherwise to be able to deal with the removal of lead-based paint. The good news for you is if you're doing this yourself, you don't have to have that special training or license, but you need to follow the EPA regulations. So the first thing I want to direct you to is my website, KenTheContractor.com, and you look under links, and then you're going to find a section that takes you to the EPA guidelines for homeowners removing or dealing with lead-based paint on their own. If you follow those guidelines, you and your family will be safe. You'll dispose of it properly, and you'll end up with a good, safe project. Now, let's talk, though, specifically about your question of what is the best way to remove this. For many years, we've used chemical paint strippers or removers. And what we know now is that many of those chemicals are as bad, in some cases, as removing the lead-based paint because it can work its way into the ground, around plants, into the ground water, uh, into the environment as it evaporates and so forth. It really is not the best thing for us to use. And we've seen paints go more and more to water base over the years, hard to find even a standard oil base these days. And that holds true for the chemical agents that's used to remove, yes, even the old lead-based paint that you're talking about. So I'm going to recommend that you consider using a water-based chemical stripper that will soften that, and you'll be able to scrape that off with a putty knife. It'll almost curl up in rolls if you follow the instructions properly. Now, there are multiple brands, but I would recommend at least one to you I've had some experience with. It's a water-based chemical stripper, and it's called Removall, R-E-M-O-V-A-L-L. And it doesn't attempt to dissolve the paint like chemical strippers do, but instead 
it breaks down the actual bond between the paint and the substrate. So it's causing that paint to release from the wood that's below that. And it's a non-toxic product. So clearly for everybody that's green and environmentally friendly, and I certainly am, this is a product that would be safe for you to use. You spray it on, for example, late one afternoon. You want to be sure you don't have rain in the forecast. And you let it sit overnight. And by morning, that paint should be soft enough that when you take a scraper, you should be able to roll it up. It will just peel off in sheets. That's the experience that my paint contractors and I have with this product. Now, there are others on the marketplace. That's just one. I'm giving you an example so you have a comparison of a name brand that is non-toxic and that actually causes the paint to release from the substrate, not dissolving it, breaking it down, having all of it run down into the ground. So that's probably the best way that I know of to deal with it on the exterior. You have other options beyond Putting a siding over it, you can encapsulate it also by painting it. But if this is in really a bad state where it's not going to be a good structure for you to paint over it, then you're probably best just putting the time, the labor, and the money into doing just what you're talking about, and that's stripping it, doing it right, doing it one more time, and that's the end of it. Good luck to you. You've got a lot of work ahead of you. It's going to take a lot of elbow grease. Be sure and check out the website, KenTheContractor.com, for more information about homeowners removing lead-based paint on their own residential property. Colby, we hope that helps you out. Well, let's take another email right now. This one comes to us from Julia. She is in Amherst, Virginia, listens to our program on WAMV, 1420 AM. And Julia writes and says, I recently inherited a small tract of land in the countryside suitable for a family retreat place. We're not ready to build, but we want to install a well. How do you estimate the cost of digging a well or installing one? So far, all we've heard is that nobody knows. Well, Julia, the reason you've heard that is probably because to some extent that's true, only in one sense, and I'm going to give you some particulars on this. First, there are general rules of thumb to establishing the cost of drilling a well. There are several components you need to understand to it. One is drilling the well. You've got mobilization fees and setup fees for a drilling rig. Then you have the actual drilling. Then you have casing. You have grouting. You have capping or sealing the wellhead. You also have a, a pump and you have wiring and other things that go with that. So there are numerous components, including the permit and inspections and tests for your health department that are all part of a well. It's not as simple as just drilling a hole in the ground and that's the end of it. With the exception of the depth of the well itself, in other words, how deep below the surface of the ground it must be drilled in order to get a good, clean, and adequate water supply, that is the variable. The other items that are involved here, you should be able to obtain a fixed price on, the mobilization portion of it from the drilling contractor. Also, the permit fees that will be involved and the cost for inspections, the cost for your testing once the well water has been reached and it can be pulled to the surface to be tested by the health department, the cost of the pump, the wire, those type items, especially if it's above ground. Now, if it's a submersible pump, then you're going to be dealing with at least a lineal foot price, but I always recommend that you start with a number. So depending on the area of the country that you and others live in, if you know typically or your well drillers will that a well is drilled to 200 feet in depth, then you establish that as your base. If you know that on average a well is 500 feet deep, then that becomes your average. So let's assume you live in an area where the average well depth is 400 feet. 
then what you would do is establish a guideline to put your budget together saying that the average in wells drilled around my property is 400 feet in depth. You may be deeper, you may be more shallow, but that will give you a good rule of thumb. So at 400 feet, you want to have the well drilling companies give you a price to drill a well 400 feet in depth to install casing down so far. And again, in that region, if the normal area depth to case is, let's say, 100 feet, then you will be looking at 100 feet of casing. You want a certain size submersible water pump, and that may go down, let's say, to 250 feet. But you want to establish these guidelines. And the best way I do this as a professional is to talk to at least three well drilling companies, those that have installed wells in the area that I need one installed in, and then I will ask them what they see as these averages for this area. And if you get that information from at least three, you're probably going to get a pretty good feel that within your region all the wells are on average, a certain depth, they may be a little more or a little less, as I said. That's a good rule of thumb to put a budget together and give you a pretty good feel for how much it's going to cost to install the well. You also have to install the other fixed cost components. Now, don't forget, you say you're not going to use this right away, that for this well to function, unless you're going to put a hand pump on it, then you're going to have to have power brought in and at least set an electrical service. It may be a minimum size, but you're going to have to have an electrical meter, a meter base, a breaker panel, and then the wiring to this well in order to have that function. Otherwise, you just have a hole in the ground. So I hope that gives you some direction to move forward in, the kinds of questions you need to ask. Clearly, you need to do some homework, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking the time, if you have the money now, to get a well installed on a piece of property as you can. Good luck, and thanks for listening to us on WAMV 1420 AM in Amherst, Lynchburg, Virginia. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Don't forget, you can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor, and also follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. Do you have a question for Ken? You can forward us an email through our website, KenTheContractor.com, or 800-614-2975. Well, welcome back. This is Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor is right here answering questions about your home inside and out. If you've got a question for Ken, you can always reach him at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or don't forget, you can email questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. Time now for this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts that he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better, provide options, and, of course, to save you money. Joining us now is Tim DeBilius. Tim is Marketing Manager with Warehouser. Tim, welcome. Thanks, Ken. It's delighted to be here. One of the things I want to do initially is talk about an old product, maybe that has some new wrinkles to it, and that's called Trust Joist. That's been around for a long period of time. I have them in many structures, both commercial and residential, as other builders do across the nation. And I know you want to bring us up to speed on Trust Joist and what's going on there. Thanks, Ken. One of the things I'd like to talk about that we're very excited about is TJI Joists, and we invented TJI Joists over 50 years ago i have grown to be really the largest part of residential floor framing. So over time, we've gone from nothing to the biggest portion of floors. We're introducing a new product right now called TJIs with flak jacket protection. We've seen a change in the building codes that is slowly being adopted by municipalities that requires a little bit of additional fire protection on i So we've developed a coating that, in the presence of fire, makes the joist last a lot longer. We're introducing that primarily along the East Coast right now. 
So this is something eventually will be out nationwide, but this is one of the things being revealed just over the next few months in the builder market from an East Coast standpoint. Correct. Now, for those of you that don't know, if you happen to be especially in some densely populated areas, your state or maybe even your local building codes, if you're in a fire district, may be requiring this or they're going to require you to use a much more costly structural material. And that's where this comes in. It meets the fire code regulations. I'm familiar with this a bit and some of the codes that have been changed. Mm-hmm as well as the ability to save a lot of money by staying with the traditional truss joist and offering that level of fire resistance or protection. And the alternative under the code is to sprinkle or to apply a ceiling. But in many cases, from a phasing point of view during construction, putting a ceiling in the basement makes it difficult to access mechanicals and you're bringing crews back later. And so we think this is a really nice alternative. Is this a product the consumer needs to ask their builder about in advance, or is this an applied product after the fact? So this is one that they have to ask for in advance. One of the important pieces for me is that it doesn't just have to go into a basement area. If there's someone who is thinking about their family safety, this product can be used on multiple levels and really just increases the time to exit a home in the event of a fire. And I will say to each of you that you may want to consult with your insurance company because in certain fire districts, if you have homes constructed of a higher fire-resistant material, you may find that there is a savings on your insurance policy, and gradually you can see a little impact in what you're paying, a savings, a good impact, by having some of these properties built into the structural elements of your home. Yes, we're real interested to see how that rolls out and how the insurance companies respond. And it may take a little time, but ask. It never hurts to ask the question. You have several other things that are relatively new. And one is called Framer Series Lumber. What is Framer Series Lumber? Weyerhaeuser is one of the leaders in forest products throughout the whole world, and we've developed a number of technologies over the years. As you might expect, our goal is to use more and more of the tree more efficiently. So we've developed technology that allows us to look at every piece of lumber that goes by and identify each piece by strength, as well as which pieces are likely to warp and move after construction. And so we can identify specific pieces for wall framing. We call those framer series, and that's also an East Coast product today. What framer series allows a builder to do is put in a traditional solid sawn 2x4 or 2x6 and know that it's not going to move after the building dries out. Well, this is phenomenal for us to go from a standard tree that we used decades ago to build the old log cabins to smart lumber today, and that's really where we're going. Exactly right. When you talk about the, the the Framer Series lumber, you said this is on the East Coast only right now. What do consumers hearing this, the end user, what do they need to say to their builder about it in terms of where to buy it or just talk to them a little bit about it if they weren't at the IBS or they haven't picked up on your literature or website from Weyerhaeuser? So, and, and that would be to ask for Framer Series lumber or alternatively to at least explain that you'd like an upgraded framing material. There's a lot of commodity framing material that just comes out, but there's opportunities to really upgrade that for very minimal cost. We're speaking with Tim DeBilius, marketing manager with Warehouser. We also have one other product that we want to talk about, that is Edge Gold. And I know this one's new, and I find this one rather interesting also. This one's interesting for me, and I attended a session today where They were talking about market research of what are consumers' preferences when they go to buy a home. And the number one thing that was of interest was a better built home is what consumers were looking for. And Edge Gold fits very nicely into understanding that. Many floor decks can be the lowest grade or just a commodity grade of OSB. And Edge Gold 
is a better quality floor that it's an OSB floor decking and it has much more moisture resistance than traditional OSBs and we've developed a new technology we call downpour technology and with downpour we have notches and grooves that drain the deck during the construction process and we found that during construction standing water that's sometimes held in place by the plates results in a quarter of inch of water sitting on a floor overnight the builder comes the next day and has to sweep that off and by putting the the uh, drainage right into the edge of the panel we get the water off the deck so whether you're looking for the edge gold subfloor material because again this is when homes are exposed to the greatest abuse by the element if you will is during construction if you're looking for framer series lumber that can help you structurally can offer some smart lumber and i think that's the way i like to look at it because you have the known engineering properties regarding this lumber that will perform better long term and it sounds to me like it's definitely green because you're using everything exactly or if you're looking for a more fire resistant truss joist warehouser is the place to be now, where do folks go to find out about the products we have discussed today and many more that we just don't have time to cover? We have a brand-new website that we've launched, and it's at woodbyy.com, and so that's one place to go. But also, our products are really carried throughout North America. Any one of your lumber dealers, if you just go to a lumber yard, they'll be familiar with those and can provide you with more information. I think you would be hard-pressed to go to a lumber dealer that did not carry or certainly know Weyerhaeuser. It is an industry giant. It's been around a long time, and we're happy that they're there. We're happy for the technology that they have developed and for the constant innovations that we see in construction products to make our homes better, better quality, last longer, and to perform to the dollars that we're putting into them. We certainly appreciate you being with us today, Tim. Thanks for the opportunity. We always like seeing you, Ken. And that's this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. We have time for a quick email from Vic in Alabama. Does the smooth side of plywood work okay as underlayment for linoleum? The short answer is no, it does not. Most sheet vinyl or linoleum, is, which was a brand name from years ago, linoleum can be a little thicker than sheet vinyl. But in most cases, that the grain of that plywood will eventually show through that linoleum, even though it's fairly smooth. Unless you were using a cabinet grade and you're not going to spend 30 or $40 a sheet for underlayment, you want to go and use either a, Leon, a, a Luon or a cement fiberboard. There are certain products that are made specifically as underlayment for linoleum and sheet vinyl floors. You want to use that, and you want to be sure you use the appropriate fastener so that you don't have any long-term issues. If you do that, it's going to perform well year after year. And, Vic, we hope that helps you out. Don't forget, you can email Ken at KenTheContractor.com or give us a call at 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's here answering the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. You can reach Ken by emailing us questions to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com, or you can give us a call. The number to dial is 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Let's go to the phone lines right now, and this is Doris who's joining us. She's got a question, Ken, for her daughter, and she hopes she can help her out with some air conditioning issues. Hi, Doris. You're on the with Ken the Contractor. A year ago, she uh, they purchased uh, a heat pump. Uh, this year, it wouldn't cool. So they called in the serviceman, and uh, he he said that the uh, coolant wasn't uh, was uh, leaking out. So they replaced that not once but twice. Well, that didn't work. Then they replaced all the lines. Well, that didn't work. 
Then they replaced the coil. That didn't work. Can you tell me what could be wrong with this unit? She says it will run for two hours and won't drop one degree. Wow. You know, if they've replaced, did they find a leak? And that's the reason they started replacing these components because they've replaced all the major components. If you've gone through the compressor, if you've gone through the coils, if they've replaced the refrigerant lines. So did they actually find a leak or was this just sort of a shot in the dark? This was, I think, a shot in the dark, Ken. Okay. Well, if, if they could not find a problem and no one can prove that there's a problem, that you've got good head pressure on the compressor, that uh, the refrigerant is charged, the system is charged as it should be, that if the outside unit has adequate airflow around it, because if it can't dissipate the heat, then it's not going to function. In other words, if there's shrubs or if there's a cover over it and the no. heat can't discharge, then that's not going to work properly. The other thing that you got to consider would be return air. Now, when they install the system, I, I'm, I'm assuming, because most people know this, they did put a return air line back in or a return air duct, did they not? I don't know, sir. You, uh, let me write this. Return what? It's, it's a return air. If you can't pull air back into the unit, it mm-hmm. can only discharge so much. It's not going to cool. Now, typically, though, it would freeze up. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that's one of the obvious things. I'm just talking to you about obvious items other than the leaks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But what they want to check again, and it, it might be time, if I were in this situation, I think I would probably be calling uh, someone else, not distrusting my friend or neighbor, but just to get a second opinion, I think I would be willing to pay a service charge to uh, a licensed company to come out and check the head pressure, to check the, the refrigerant in it, to be sure that I have proper airflow around my system, to be sure that I have adequate air return. Because a unit, for example, if it produces uh, 800 CFM, 800 cubic feet per minute in supply air, mm-hmm. it's, it's got to be able to take return air back in to bring across those inside coils, to bring the air back through the system to be cooled and then recirculate. If that return air is not going in there, it's not going to do anything in terms of he- cooling the inside of the house. Well, they had three different uh, uh, licensed uh, uh, maintenance people to come and look at it. Not just hmm. one did this. Well, that's you, why you, I'm confused. Well, I would be, too. I'm, I'm giving you the obvious, and that's where I would be going first. If they verify that the system is properly charged, as I said, the inside and outside components are sound, mm-hmm. then I would be looking at something that, that prevents the unit from dissipating heat or that creates an issue as far as the return air. I think that's the place to go. Uh, give that a try. Give me a call back. Doris, we do appreciate your call. Don't forget, you can friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and also follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. Time now for our handy website of the week. What have we got this week? This week's website of the week might be just a little bit ahead of itself as I present this. This one's still in the test mode, but I find this rather fascinating. And when we look at the technology that puts so many things at our fingertips, especially when it comes to home remodeling or just buying gadgets or devices for our house, it's really phenomenal. And this is a new one that has been on the market in test mode only since early this year. And it still has a little ways to go probably before you'll find it readily available for everybody. But this is a Silicon Valley-based Friend Trusted Inc. website that was founded, as I said, earlier this year to make it extremely easy to obtain home improvement services quickly and efficiently. Now, the service offers users a free personal assistant. Did you get that? The service offers the users a free personal assistant that guides them through the home improvement maze from project inception all the way 
to completion, all while finding them the best provider at the best price with the most convenient delivery method possible, their smartphone. All the information can be fed back to your smartphone, your iPad, your tablet, your PC. And all of this comes to us from friendtrusted.com. Now, again, this is not out for the masses at this point, but I think we'll find over time, based on the reading I've done on this, and if you go to their website and check them out, that this probably will provide substantial additional information, plus the personal help, to Angie's List and other tools that are already available for all of us when it comes time to hire a contractor or a specialty trade or someone to come in and do something in our home. So I always encourage you to use all the tools available to you to do research, to provide a good peace of mind that you know where you're going and who you're hiring. Get references, get at least three bids, and then move forward. But this website of the week is friendtrusted.com. Check them out and then follow them until they're ready to hit the market big time. All right. Got time for an email. What's next? This mailbag question comes to us from Judy out of Lexington, Virginia. She says, I pulled the AC filter out two months ago to take with me to the store to get a replacement. I forgot to install it when I got home and have just now remembered. I opened the place for the filter to put it in and see the area filled with dust and what I think is pollen. I tend to open my windows on spring days and turn off the AC sometimes. Have I created a problem? Do I just put the filter in and keep going? Please offer some advice. Well, Judy, I don't think you need to lose any sleep over this, but clearly when we run our AC units, heating or cooling mode, without a filter, what that system's doing is drawing all the suspended particles within the interior space of the home through that unit. So whether you have dust, you have pet dander, hair, you have pollen that has entered the room, it doesn't matter. If it's airborne and suspended in that air, it's being pulled through the unit. Now, you let this run for a couple of months, it sounds like, without a filter, which certainly is not great. What may have happened is the dust you see inside where this filter goes has been pulled on through the unit and is probably on the coils inside the air handler. If it's excessive, I mean, if it seems very extreme to you, then by all means, I'd call the HVAC contractor out and have them properly vacuum and service that equipment. If it is just minor and you're just concerned because you can rub your fingers across it and you have a little light dust, I wouldn't be overly concerned at this point. Be sure and put the filter in, continue operating it accordingly, and then the next time you schedule your yearly maintenance for your HVAC contractor, be sure and tell them so that they can properly check and go through and vacuum the dust off the coils and other areas on the inside. Because what's going to happen, and hopefully you don't have allergies, but what's going to happen is this dust or pollen, whatever you're seeing there, is going to continue blowing on through the system. Now, once it goes through the discharge side and then it's pulled back through on the return air, then it will be captured by the filter that you now have in place. So for a little while, whatever you've put through there may continue to blow out and discharge. You may see the supply grills get a little dirty around the perimeter. That's usually a good sign that either the AC filter's not in place or it's dirty uh, when you see those supply grills getting dirt around the corners of them. That means it's past time to change or put the filter in. So I don't think you've done anything that's terribly detrimental. I think I would just move ahead if you don't think it's excessive. Otherwise, give the HVAC contractor a call. Thanks for listening to us on WAMV 1420 out of Amherst. Good luck to you, Jude. And that wraps up this hour of Ken the Contractor. For Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, I'm Jim Brett. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor.
You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.